I like that video because for me, that kind of captures some of the joy of being a father. Like, we look forward to that idea of being, being that superhero for our children. Like I said before, being that protect, protector, being that provider. And it's a little easier for me right now because I have a five-year-old daughter and she still looks at me that way. I see it in her eyes. This is when we had a farewell for Pastor Mike. And the picture over there she's wearing when she's with me and my wife, she's wearing Spider-Man, which she knows is Daddy's favorite superhero. And then the second picture was taken shortly after that when she wanted to wear the same mask that Daddy was wearing. (laughs) So I still have that, and I love that, and I enjoy that. And um, I hope that I use that for the right way, not for my own glory, but to help her love Christ. I try to tell her from time to time, I try to say, do you know why Daddy loves you so much? Because of Jesus, because he's changed my heart. And I try to use that to draw her to you. Um, But I know it's not always going to be that way. I know some of you fathers are smirking a little bit, and you're thinking, just wait, your time's coming. Your time's coming. There's going to be a moment where one day you think you're Tony Stark, you're Iron Man. You think you could do everything with your daughter. And then the next minute, you're Mr. Bean. You're Mr. Bean sitting in a shopping mall with your daughter who comes over and says, Daddy, Daddy, those are my friends over there I told you about. They're coming over. Can you, can you do me a favor? For about five minutes, can you just not be you? Just don't be you. Be normal for five minutes. Better yet, how about this? You still have some money, right? Can you just go over there on the other side of the shopping mall and get some popcorn? Get, just go on. Go on. It's okay. Just go get some popcorn. Get me some cheese. You know that's my favorite. I'll catch up with you later. And all of a sudden, one day, you realize, Wow. <laughs> I used to be Tony Stark, now I'm Mr. Bean, and my daughter doesn't want me around. So I, I know that happens, and as, as kids get older, you kind of have this disconnect. And a lot of it is healthy, a lot of it is good. You know, as, as, as she grows up, or I say she as in my daughter, but as our kids grow up, they become more self-sufficient. They don't need daddy anymore. My daughter tells me all the time, daddy, let me do this, let me do this for myself, I can do this. Okay, that's a good thing. And then as they grow older, they become busier. You know, they get in school, they've got homework, they've got exams, and then it comes to friends. The friends become their entire world. And you have less time with them. Right now, I can spend all the time in the world with my daughter. Later on, I won't see her that much. I'll have to fight and create ways to spend time with her. And then she will have other heroes, other superheroes, which will be musicians, it'll be movie stars, it'll be sports stars that she will look up to. Dad, you're kind of lame, but these K-pop stars, these are the real men. Never thought I would say that. Um, And she'll start to get her advice from other people. She won't be coming to me anymore. She'll be getting advice from her friends, which is scary. She'll be getting advice from other people. And so... 
There's this disconnect. As she goes on, she'll be focused on the past. She'll be so busy. She'll be so focused on her friends and making her own way and her own identity, enjoying the world and the things, that she will lose connection with her own father, which, granted, is, is healthy. That's okay. I don't want her as a 15-year-old to be like she is now, you know, connected at my hip. I want her to be self-sufficient. I want her to grow and learn. That's okay. Those are healthy things. But the reality is the relationship between me and my daughter will be different. And what we see is that often is what happens in our faith. As we, as Pastor Stan talked about last week, do you guys remember the turnstile Christian? He talked about we get in through the turnstile and many people just say, okay, I made it. I believe I'm done. And then they don't go to explore all the things that God has, but more importantly, they don't go to explore all of who God is. See, when we, in our faith, when we focus on the path before us, and that can be both be both um, our jobs, our careers, our families, which are good things. We can focus and become so consumed on those things, we forget about the person that we're following. And even we can justify it because we follow this spiritual path. We make sure we have our list of do's and don'ts. We make sure, you know, we're not swearing too much, or we're not drinking too much, or we go to church enough. And we have these things where we're focused on the path, and like, okay, This is what I got to do. This is who I've got to be to be a good Christian. I got this kind of highlight um, concept when I was reading through uh, John Piper this week. And it really caught me because it was along with what the Lord was speaking to me. But this idea of when Jesus says, follow me, there's two things he's communicating. One is he's saying, the highlight you see, follow me, copy me, walk in my direction, do what I do, do what I told you to do. And the other one is follow me, the focus on me, that I am here, I am the person you are coming to, I am the person that you are seeking to follow and that you want to be with. Like if uh, I was at um, H&M just across the street on Friday night. And while my wife, Tracy, was going and shopping for some of my nieces, um, I'm running around with Joriana in the store. And for some reason, for her, the word follow is the same thing as copy. Like, she never says copy. She always says, let's play the follow game, not the copy game. So she said, let's play the follow game. And so I'm walking around in the store saying, okay, you follow me, do what I do. And so I'm walking around doing the chicken I'm spinning around, walking backwards, doing the moonwalk, doing all this cheesy, you know, cheesy dad stuff that right now is Tony Stark to her. Later on will be Mr. Bean to her. And she'll be saying, Daddy, you're embarrassing me. But now I turn around, I see the joy on her face. She's loving it. But it's not just the following and the copying. It's she looks in my eyes. She loves being with me. And that's what is special about that. And we need to remember that as we follow the path, 
that we're not just following a path of rules and things and doing, we're following a person, and we need to focus on the person. The message entitled today is, Do You Know Whom You Are Following? In this passage we're going to read, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the path that we will have before us. He gives us a glimpse of what true followers will do. And then we learn those that know him tend to follow him, and those that don't really know him in the end don't. Before we get into the reading of the word, I want to pray for us again. So if you please bow your heads. Father, uh, Lord, as we open up your word, I pray, God, that you would, um, I know you, I trust in you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is already here working in us. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us, speak through me, open the ears and eyes of the congregation, Lord, that all of us may learn from you. Teach us, Lord, love us. Let us enjoy your presence. Let us worship you through learning about you and getting to know you better, that, Lord, at the end of this, that we would know you more and want to be with you. We give thanks in the almighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so since you guys might be getting a little sleepy, I'm going to put you to work. So I need you guys to stand up, and we're going to read the word together as a congregation. So please rise. Just five verses. And um, go ahead and start reading, please. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. You know, often what happens is when we read the word together or on our own is we read it and then we kind of forget what we just read. And so we wanted to slow down and go through that text a little bit together today. And there's often things we want to look for. There's many different ways to approaching the Bible. This is not the only way. But... We want to make sure we're asking first, what is this text saying? And we want to ask, what does this tell me about God, who God is? Because we want to get to know him. And then finally we ask, what does this have to do with us? But more importantly, not just how does this relate to my job, not just how does this relate to my family, but what does this have to do with us in terms of following him? And that's, that's a major focus. So we As we just read, it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders over to the other side. Now have you ever noticed often, not always, but often, Jesus will actually withdraw from the crowds. Or other times he will tell people after as a miracle, please don't don't, don't go tell people this. Don't, don't, Don't go tell everybody. Because he knows what? The crowds will come. 
He often does that. And we wonder why. Why was that? There's, there's some reasons that Scripture tells us. One is, he says, it's not my time. I didn't, I didn't come here for this to be glorified and to be put up on a throne right now. But he also knows when the crowds come, they come often for different reasons, and a lot of them aren't for the right reasons. Imagine you're walking down the street, and you go out here at AIC, and you walk down, and there's that big ship down there, right? And as you turn the corner, go around the ship, all of a sudden you see hundreds of people gathered around, and they're looking at something, and they're murmuring and talking. What happens inside of you when you see that? Everything, every fiber of you just has to know what's going on. You have this desire inside of you. There's a crowd. There's lots of people. They're looking at something. It must be important. It must be amazing. Or it could be dangerous. Or it could be... And nowadays, of course, we've got to go take a picture and get a video and share it with everybody. And so you have this thing, and everybody has that inside of them. When the crowds are there, we want to go. But we're not necessarily going like, oh, I wonder if someone's hurt. Can I go help them? Or we're not saying, like, I want to go for a greater good. It's just, I just want to know what's going on. In California, when I grew up, we had lots of traffic, and just one car accident could be the smallest fender bender would back the freeway up for hours because everybody had to slow down and just look and just look. There's something in us that causes us, when the crowds are there or something happens, for all of us to get around. But Jesus is not looking for people to come around and go, what's going on over here? He's looking to get in and spend time and build relationships and develop disciples. He's looking for something deeper than the crowds. Is there anybody in here who has any experience in military or law enforcement? Okay, what do you see, Ron? Do you see anything up here that sticks out to you? Uh, yes, up here in the text, in the blue. He gave, he gave orders. He gave orders. Okay, This is something we can learn that we, sh- we should know, but this is something we can learn from the text that we can't skip past. He gave orders. It wasn't like he was sitting there going, okay, guys, there's kind of crowds. I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety. You know, I don't like crowds. Can we just, like, get out of here, please? You know, I... I know there's a lot of people here, and we could minister to them, but I really just want to get out of here. Will you guys go with me? He said, get in the boats, get them ready, we're going to the other side. He gave orders. Now, who has the right to give orders? Superiors. Superiors, those who have authority. Now, if I walked in one day off the street, and I just tried to give you and all your men orders, are you going to listen to me? Probably not, No. You have to have the authority and you have to have people following that know you have the authority and are willing to submit to that. And that's what Christ is looking for. As we look at today, what he's looking for disciples, when we go in through the turnstile and we say, we're saved, we're here, we're good, Jesus is saying, no, I have some orders for you. I have some commandments for you. I have some things I want you to do. And this is his expectation for us. The next verse says, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Now this this guy, I don't we don't know who it is, but he kind of reminds me of Peter. Like that's that's in my mind I envision him. He's just coming up and immediately laying it out and saying, I'll follow you wherever you go, let's go. Just like Peter. But we don't know who it is. We also don't know whether he was genuine or not. We don't know whether he ended up following. Because there are other texts where people come up and lay out their promises to follow, and it says later on they went away and didn't follow. We're not told that. But what we are told is what Jesus says in his response. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, in the timeline of where we are in Matthew, is Matthew has, he started out, because he's, he's writing this book for the Jewish people, he's establishing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's establishing his identity. And then we go to this wonderful time in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been through, this life-changing, life-altering, just mind-blowing teaching that we love going through the Sermon on the Mount, because it's just gold. And then, as we read, now, granted, not everything in the book is perfect chronological order. But then we start to read that Jesus is doing miracles. We read all these miracles that he's doing. So now he's, he showed his power. He showed his authority as the Son of God. He showed who he is. He's establishing who he is. And now, now we come to this part where the disciples are saying, okay, okay, I've seen what's going on here. And remember, in the Jewish mindset, as we often talk about over and over, they're looking for the right now king. They're looking for the Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to come and take over Rome and set up things right now. So they're thinking, man, you got all these miracles, this wonderful teaching, this guy's brilliant. Everybody's coming and following. I'll follow you. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus says, hold on now. This is not a path that you think it is. This is not the path that you think it is. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's giving a picture of the path. Jesus is focused on going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. He's going to lay down his life. That's his purpose. That's his path, to lay down his life. And I'm not saying this scribe who came up to him was having visions of kingdoms and palaces and women. I'm not saying he had that. But clearly Jesus, in this response, wanted him and the listeners around to know that there is a path that's coming that's not as comfortable and glorious as you think it is. Now, it is glorious in the sense of eternity. It is glorious in terms of God fulfilling his promises and Jesus rising from the dead. It is glorious in that way. But from a human mindset, for the perks and all the things and the glory that we think of, it's not. But one of the things we see is Jesus was honest about the path. He could have said, yeah, come on, it's great. We'll have great food, great time. We'll have some good music. We'll put on a video. We'll get some pizza. Later, we'll make it just real fluffy and nice. But he didn't. He told him honestly. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now on the surface, what this man was saying here was actually, it's not a bad thing. And it's very honorable. 
It's very honorable. I was reading through this over and over um, through the Bible, and then I was looking to history and, and commentaries, and what you see again and again is people say that this is actually a common statement, let me go and bury my father, which now we don't know again. But what we can read into it is possible, it's highly likely the father was actually not dead yet. And that actually he was saying, I need to go back and take care of my elderly parents until they died. And that's actually very common back then. But we don't know that. He could have died, or he could have been dying the next week. Either way, the point of this is what the man was really saying. And it's, it's going to sound harsh, but this is how serious Jesus is. The man's basically saying, I have another commitment that comes first before you, so I'll follow you later. And so let's see how Jesus responds to that. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That sounds harsh. That sounds harsh. What it's actually basically saying is leave the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. I wanted to go through real quick what Jesus is not saying. And the reason I know this is because whenever you read a verse, you have to, you have to take into consideration the entire Bible. What does Jesus say throughout all time? Not just in this verse, not just in this moment. When we take the collected teachings of Jesus and what we read throughout Scripture, what is the heart of God? Jesus is not saying, who cares about your family? Who cares about your culture? Who cares about non-believers, the spiritually dead? Who cares about them? He's not saying, who cares about funerals? You don't need to go to those. That's a waste of your time. You need to go to Sunday school, not a funeral. So if you're in children's church and you're one of the leaders and you funeral to go to, you got to cancel that. No, he's not saying that. Okay, we know that. And he's not against spending time with your family. Clearly, we can see that when we look at the teachings of Jesus and what he did in his life. Warren Wiersbe says, in response to what this is talking about, and this is just one view, but it says, it is better to preach the gospel and give life to the spiritually dead, than to wait for your father to die and bury him. Because remember, at that time, Jesus had not died yet. He had not risen again yet. That man, whoever the disciple was, had not received the Holy Spirit. But he wanted to go take care of his father, which was honorable. But what would he have done? He would have gone back, taken care of his father, made sure he had food, made sure he'd taken care of health-wise, and then his father would have passed away. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you follow me. Let the spiritually dead take care of those things. I'm going to take you on a path that's going to transform your life so much that when you go back to your father, you're going to be able to bring him life, even if he's dying. You're going to be able to bring him life. We need to focus on the person of Jesus and his path And only when we're focused on that can we bring life to people. So we see through this passage, 
Jesus is not always focused on the crowds, not always. We can come together in crowds like this, but it's very difficult in a crowd like this for you guys to become intimate and personal and close with one another, and it's also very difficult for you to become closer and intimate with Jesus. Following the crowds is not a bad thing. Jesus dealt with crowds all the time. He preached to crowds. He healed people in crowds. He ministered to crowds. But he also knew there was a time to pull away. We learn that Jesus is a king. He's the king above all kings. He's the authority because he gave orders and expected obedience. We know from other places in Scripture that he's the king. We, we learn that he was honest about the cost. He laid out the path, what is going on, what, what, what is before us. The cost is heavy. And the priority, Jesus and his path above all else. Why is this important to understand what he's saying? Now, as I said before, not all of Matthew and not all of the Gospels are in perfect chronological order in time. Like this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Some of the authors grouped together miracles that happened on different times. But this time, the way Matthew writes this, we get the impression that this is chronological because he uses leading statements. And remember, the original uh, gospel that he wrote did not have chapters and verses, so it was just straight through. So Jesus, he takes his disciples and he says, okay, here's the crowd. We're going to the other side. We have a path. We have something we're going to do, something important. A couple disciples come up to him and say, well, I'll follow you. One of them says, I'll go wherever you go. The other one says, well, I got some business to take care of that's more important, and then I'll come follow later. And Jesus is talking to the, the people around him, his disciples, and he's saying, he's, he's, his answers explain to them, look, you have things that you have to do, but this is more important. And this path is not necessarily going to be pretty. In the very next verse, it says, And he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. That's the connecting statement. They're standing there, he talks to them, and then they got into the boat, his disciples followed him. The ones that followed, they got in the boat. We know this story. They're going across. Jesus falls asleep. And a huge storm comes, and the waves are coming, the winds are coming, the water's filling in the boat. And a lot of these guys are fishermen, so they're used to this. But all of them are screaming and scared and thinking they're going to die. And they go up to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Lord, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? You don't even care we're dying. Wake up. What's wrong with you? Do you not even care? And how does Jesus respond? He gets up and he says, Oh, you little of faith. Why are you afraid? He rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves. Everything goes calm. And how do the men respond? Whoa, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's an amazing story. But one thing we have to remember is this, that little story is not about Jesus removing the storms. This is not a nice little fairy tale that says every time a storm comes, Jesus will take it away. 
We don't see that in Scripture. We don't see that in church history. And for a lot of you, you've been praying for 15, 20 years for some sort of storm in your life to go away, and it's still there. That's not the point. This is Jesus continuing to show his disciples. This story is about Jesus being with them. He was with them. And they they didn't even know him enough that they would question whether he even cared whether they live or die. Don't you even care? We're dying here. This this story about the storm is about Jesus' power. He was with them. He had the power to stop the storm, to make them go, whoa, who is this man? Because these same disciples were about to go down a road years later where they would deal with so many storms, so much persecution and pain and death, that Jesus was preparing them for this. When he says he's with you, he means he's with you. And he has power over what's going on. And so if he doesn't take away that storm, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't have the power. It's because he has a different plan. Do you know Jesus enough to follow him, considering that's what he's telling us? Right after that, It says, and when he came to the other side. So they got on the boat, went to the storm, almost died. Jesus stopped the storm. They get to the other side. They got to, they they came up, uh, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. In another account of the same story, we learn one of these men was so vicious that they would chain him to the walls and he would break the chains. Nobody from town or that community would even walk that way. Can you imagine the darkness and the fear and the pain if someone from our community became demon-possessed and took over the harbor area and nobody would go over there and take pictures? No one would even walk over there because they thought they would die. Can you just picture that? Someone we know out there causing fear and oppression and they themselves dealing with fear and oppression. And Jesus walks up and they come up to him and start talking. They know who he is right away. The demons do. And he casts them aside like child's play. That's how much power he has. He just casts them aside. They go into the pigs. They go down. The pigs die. And then what happens? The pig herders, they go run into town. They get everybody and they say, you have to see what happened. You're never going to believe it. They all come out. They find out what happened. And what do they do? They're afraid. And they tell Jesus, can you please get out of here? We don't want you around here. We don't want this. Why? Because they didn't know him. They didn't know who he was. They were just simply afraid. This is what we see in church history. We see storms. We see spiritual warfare. The Bible is full of people who are demon-possessed. There is something so powerful out there that wants to destroy you, that wants to destroy your family, that wants to destroy your marriage, that wants to destroy this church, wants to divide us, wants to destroy your kids, wants to destroy your community. But then there's Jesus. There's Jesus who has called us on this path. He doesn't just give us a path and say, go that way. He walks on that path and says, come on, let's go. 
I'm going to show you how to do this. He walks with us. He says, I will be with you. But the question is, when we're on this path, do we know him? Are we too busy focused on our career, our kids, our education, our rules, our church things? Because when these storms come and these spiritual warfare comes that come to destroy us, we're going to be terrified unless we know the person. We know the person of Jesus who says, yes, this is what's coming, but I'm here. I'm with you. And do you trust me that I have the power to overcome this? Not that I will take the storms away, but do you trust me? Do you know me? Do you love me? We have the path, which is pick up your cross and follow me daily. This is the best definition that Jesus gives us of our path. Pick up your cross. Follow me daily. Deny yourself. But then we have the person. This is our hope. The risen Savior the living God, the one who casts demons aside like child's play, the one who rebukes the wind and the waves. Those are not fairy tales. That's who Jesus is. But the biggest thing is he conquered the grave. He is alive today, and he shows his power through that, his authority through that. And when we, when we focus on that, when we focus on that, when we focus on him and who he is and get to know him and get to trust him, we can endure to the end. I've been reading a lot in the last couple of years um, through scripture, and, and God keeps taking me back to these passages about suffering and about affliction. And what we hardly ever see is that it's just taken away. But what we continually see is that God shows people and grows people through that suffering and affliction. And we look at these heroes of Scripture, and we look at these heroes of church history, we look at these heroes of missions, and how are they sculpted and molded? Because they're on the path, getting to know the person, and they're going through the storms. Jesus is not in the business of erasing the storms. He's they're with us. And he's looking to develop committed followers who understand you get through that turnstile, there's a whole other world out there. Remember how you got through the turnstile. It was not you that paid. It was Jesus that paid the price. And it's that same Jesus who got you through the turnstile who says, this is the beginning. There's a whole new world out there. But that whole new world is full of a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. And unless you get to know me, you're not going to stay on the path. You read in Scripture, it says, only those that endure to the end will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's right at the end of talking about suffering. The most important thing is, is we focus on Jesus. He's on that boat. He's with us. We need to get to know the person. Don't just focus on the path. We are not good Christian soldiers if we're just focused on the path, the Bible verses, these things, and we just learn. We open the Bible and we say, okay, how do I behave? 
How do I please God through my behavior? God's saying, no, open the scripture. And when you read these passages, say, what does this tell me about God? Who is he? And what does he expect from me as a follower? He is my king. He's my master. He expects me to obey. So what does he want me to obey? Not behavior, but obedience. And Jesus calls that love. I want to give you a challenge, and then we're going to change directions a little bit. Um, one of the hardest things I deal with in youth ministry, as I, I'm the youth director here, is encouraging youth to read the Bible on their own, pray on their own. And you, you go through this over and over. And it's the same with adults, if we're honest, for most of us. Is we encourage you, you know, make sure you read the Bible. Make sure you pray. Which is true. We want you to do that. But how often do we actually do that? That's one of the biggest things. You come into church and you could get the guilt trip. Like, oh man, I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. So one of the purposes of church is to remind you to put your eyes on Jesus Christ. To remind you of his death and his resurrection. That he is the risen Lord and there is power in his name. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. We sing, right? But another part of church is we're supposed to equip you. We're supposed to help you on your journey to keep your eyes on Christ. But the only way that works is you give time to the church and you give some priority to the church. I'm not asking for money. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about time, which is probably a bigger commodity than money in Hong Kong. I want to challenge you guys. We, just something small. We have discipleship courses. We're talking about having a fellowship start uh, for parents in the mornings in the fall where you guys come together and you just have fellowship and pray for each other. We want to create ways for you guys to come together. And we're working on these things. But we have something we do every morning right here. At 10.30, we meet together as a church and pray. Now, granted, most of the time, I'm upstairs with the youth, where we're actually usually praying up there about the same time. But usually, we only have about 5 or 10% of our church here. Now, just in case, because we have so much turnover, some of you don't know what that is. This is not an elders meeting. This is not a pastors meeting. This is not a membership meeting. If you walk in today and this is your first day at church, guess what? Next week, you can join us in prayer. This is for all of you. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, who you're a member of, or what your status is. This over here at 1030 is AIC coming together to get to know Jesus better to pray for each other. It's just a small thing. So this is what I want to challenge you with. Set the clock back. Jesus is our king. He is our priority. He is the head of the church. He is the head of AIC. Let us come together and let's see 50, 60, 100 people over here in this area praying. 1030. 
So your mind changes. Church doesn't start at 1045. Church actually starts about 1015 because often what happens is even people come at 1030 end up talking the whole time while we're up here praying. We want to invite you to come with us. Yes, we do have pastors and elders who come up here and pray, but it's not about us. It's about him. It's about us wanting to get to know him, us wanting to pray for this church because we need prayer. We all need prayer. This church needs prayer. You need prayer. We need to trust in him, and that's one of the biggest ways we get to know him is spending time in prayer. It's a short time. But I want to challenge you guys. Can we do this? Can we do this? When you're not on holiday this summer, can we now reschedule and put Jesus as a higher priority in his work, in this church, a higher priority, where we fill this section, where we even got to say, okay, now maybe we should split up in two groups or three groups. And we come together at 1015, we fellowship, and then at 1030, we've got groups praying up here, trusting in him, seeking him to know him better. Imagine that, praying together like that as a church and then going into worship together. That's a whole different thing than coming in at 11.15 and just kind of going through. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's treat him as the king that he is. Let's do this together. Let's get to know him together because we would say, go out there and pray and read your Bible. But big part of church is we do that together and that builds a culture inside of you And that as you see God working, as you see and get to know God, you say, okay, maybe this whole reading the Bible, praying thing, is there something to this? That's a part of the church. It's a disciple. You can do it together. So yes, go out there, pray, read the Bible, worship, fellowship. But next week, let's fill this whole area with sons and daughters of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, trusting in the Lord Jesus and what he's done, praying together as a family. Now I'd like to call the, the Enns family forward. Um, if you would please come forward. We're going to pray together as a family for the Enns family. If I could have uh, the elders come forward as well and Pastor Stan. This is a family that's been with us about three or four times as long as I've been here. (laughs) But one of the beautiful things we've seen, and this family's not perfect, of course. They have their issues, don't we all? But we've seen this family dive in and follow Jesus. They may have gotten off path here and there. But I always remember, I shared this with them when we had uh, this gathering, is that I had a pastor who told me, if you left the church, would anybody even notice? Not because of you're not popular, but because you're not out there sold out living for God, where if you leave, people are like, oh no, how, do, how are we going to do this? We need to find someone else. This family, I'm going to embarrass them a little bit, they're leaving in July, and we're going to pray for them now. But they, they have shown an amazing ability to get involved to the point where when we found out they were leaving, our church was like, oh my, we have a lot of holes to fill. But the most important thing is 
That's a lot of God's love that's going away. A lot of relationships that are going away. But hey, wherever they're going, their new church, their new community is going to get blessed with that. And that's exciting that they will have that. I want to say on behalf of AIC, we're so grateful. We love you guys. Um, You've poured your hearts out for this church, for the school, and uh, we're thankful for that. And you follow a living God. He's the risen king, and he's going with you. So we want to pray for them now as they go out and uh, continue to pray for them. They'll be here for a couple more weeks. Let them know they are loved. Encourage them. It's a big change. Remind them of who the God they serve. Now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you. Lord Jesus, you are the king above all kings, the name above all names. You are the risen Lord. You have power over everything, authority over all things. You tell us that in the Great Commission, when you say, I have authority over everything, and then you send us out. Lord, we're so thankful for the Inns family, their heart, their love, all the things they've done. And although we are sad that they're leaving, we are excited to see what you're going to do in their lives. We trust in you, Jesus, that you have a plan for them. That's not just a cliche, Lord. You do. You have a path for them. Lord, we pray that you will go with them. We know you will go with them. Help them to keep their eyes on you, Jesus, that when they get over there and they get lost in the moving and the boxes and the the new jobs and the new situations, that they wouldn't get so lost that they take their eyes off of you. Lord, help them to keep their eyes on you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you prepare people in the communities they're going into that will love them, that will pray with them and support them at their jobs, at their church, in their community, Lord, that you would have brothers and sisters, soldiers, sons and daughters of Christ that are going to take up the mantle to love these people and encourage them and give them the courage going forward to continue getting involved, to continue serving, to continue loving. Lord, we can't wait to see what you do through them. May you protect them as they, they move and may you bless them. We know you will be with them, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.